Take your dreams seriously. Words spoken by our guest, Matthew Starr, on another episode of the Get Over It podcast today. Now, a dream is defined as a cherished admiration or ambition. An ambition is a strong desire to achieve something. Nothing in those definitions suggests dreams are unattainable. So why has our dreams gotten so entangled with this idea that they are inherently not reachable and so far out of our reach? Our guest today had a passion from day one and a dream to leverage that passion. And sure enough, he realized that dream after a long journey. Your dreams are not impossible. Your dreams are, in fact, attainable, but only if you take them seriously. So what do you say? Enough talk. Let's get over it. All right, so our guest today on the podcast is Matt Starr. Uh, Matt Starr is a drummer, singer, producer, career coach, and public speaker. So Matt is an excellent guest to be on the Get Over podcast with a really cool story that he's going to talk to us about in just a second. Um, you know, as a drummer, Matt has built a reputation for working with some of Rock's most influential musicians, um, including Ace Frehley of Kiss, which is just incredible. Um, Paul Gilbert and Mr. Big. I mean, you, the, we, the list, you know, he's worked with members of Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi, Whitesnake. So it's really cool for me to talk to him about not only that and hear a little bit about what that life's like, but then how Matt uh, sort of pivoted a little bit. He took um, this into uh, creating a workshop, turning passion into a career, you know, that has taken him around the world sort of speaking to musicians and non-musicians in academic and corporate settings, becoming a real motivational speaker, a coach, if you will. And uh, we're going to talk to Matt about where that came out of this career of being a musician. And we're going to do that right now in the Get Over It podcast. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, you know, I always say like when I don't, I, I don't, before I tend to interview new people for the show, I don't know them at all. I know of what, I know of them, what I read, right. Or I know of them, what I hear. And, you know, the first thing when, when, when I talked to Dan Dinsmore, the owner of over it, that sort of, uh, you know, led me your way, you know, I see you as, as a musician and I'm reading about that. But then I also see this as a, you know, as a coach, as a motivational speaker. And a lot of times the two don't go together. So, can we start, just introduce yourself, and then I want to start the, with the musician uh, part and talk about where that started in you uh, when you were young. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, currently drummer with Ace Fraley from Kiss, um, worked with a lot of other talented folks, played with a band called Mr. Big, Jolyn Turner from uh, Rainbow, yep. and like you said, you know, you, you got all the bio stuff there, but yeah, the um, the, the, the kind of the... The, having it merge into a career coaching thing was that's an interesting story and and something that I certainly was confused by as well <laughs> and I said can I can I be the rock and roll guy and then be the coach because I don't you know I don't picture you know Keith Moon doing coaching <laughs> you know I think come to the bar and I'll tell you how I got started but that's about it so yeah it was a challenge for me just in my mind to, to really understand how can I do both things. So a lot of kids dream of being ro a rock star, right? It's one of those things, you know, uh, people like music, they're young and they have this feeling like they want to, they want to be in music. They want to be a rock star. Did you have that when you were young? Did you, was it always something that you saw yourself at or was aspiring to be? Yeah, I got clear on that when I was about eight years old. I didn't realize what had happened in that moment, but um, I'm actually on the street that I grew up at um, and uh, outside that, my folks' that's place cool. here. That's awesome. Yeah. So 
Um, this is right where it happened. And um, uh, a friend up the street, Scott Gobala, had records and turned me on to Cheap Trick and a bunch of other bands. But at the very beginning, he had a, a Kiss album uh, called Kiss Alive 2. It came out in 77. You open it up. It's their stage show with the smoke and the flames and the sparks and these dudes looking really cool and, and up on risers. And I just yep. was like, I just saw that. And I got a feeling from that that I had never gotten from anything else before. And I've never gotten from anything else since. It's just a knowing and an absolute, just like from my heart, just yes. Dude, and first so, of all, first of all, that's so interesting that, you know, you, so, you mentioned Kiss as one of these like founding moments in your life. And you've come full circle now being able to, you know, play with someone from that same sort of experience. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, three three out of the four guys that were in that photo, I've played with. So that's that's, that's awesome. That's incredible. And, and I will somehow figure out how to play with Peter Chris, who is the drummer, <laughs> but we'll we'll work it out. Um. So yeah, that was it. So they had just had that absolute knowing, you know. And again, at the time, I didn't realize. Oh, I found my life's calling. I found out why I'm here on earth. I found out what I'm here to do. But that was the clarity, and and nothing else gave me that feeling. So going through high school you know, looking at options and talking about colleges or jobs and seeing what other people did for work. I just thought, God, that looks awful. I, it, mm -hmm. It's so not interesting to me at all in any way, shape or form. And so um, I just never lost that feeling. And I just stayed true to it. I said, Oh, I guess this is who I am. I'm just going to do this, which wasn't, you know, it's just an acceptance. So what was your first step in that? You know, you accept it. What do you do? You don't just, you don't just get to play with Ace from Kiss or there, there, there's like a progression, right. right? So what's your first step and how do you navigate that? Again, I, I didn't have clarity as to the magnitude of what that moment meant, right? But for me, I was just obsessed with, at the time it was Kiss, but ultimately it, it became music and rock and roll right. and, and right. Playing, playing music. Um, so wanted to get a guitar. Uh, found one in the JC Penny catalog, depending on how old you are. You yeah, may or I know. may not yep. know what that was. That was yep. like a telephone book. Of, know that. That, was the, that was the analog oh Amazon. You know what I mean? Like old school. <laughs> That's right. exactly what it was. <laughs> you know, and I, right, they're way ahead of their times. You got everything from snow so tires to guitars to, you know, blow dryers to a bell. Yeah. And I found a guitar in there and I asked for it for Christmas and I thought I was getting it and I didn't get it. And I, my mom, like a week later, was sick of watching me mope around the house, and she said, "Why don't you um, take up drumming? You could do, you could play drums in the sixth grade school band." And I, I didn't want to because I wanted to play guitar, but eventually I came around to it. So, so then I got an instrument. You know, I started playing drums, and and just I, I lasted about three weeks in school band because I realized they weren't going to play any Kiss songs, but the passion for the music was there. And I just, I was obsessed. I would come home from school, go up in my room. And when I was younger, it meant laying on the floor and drawing pictures of Kiss and listening to records. You know, Cheap Trick, Aerosmith, Iron Maiden, yep. Kiss, all that. Eventually, once I started playing, it was coming home, running upstairs as fast as I could, playing drums until dinner, have dinner, run out of the kitchen, back upstairs. And you would throw on the tracks and you would play to them? Were you like, just like freestyling? Yeah, yeah that's okay. Yeah, cool. I mean, sometimes I'd mess around and try and do a drum solo thing, but usually I was playing along the records. And just yeah. uh, and, and again, 
not realizing this, but I was visualizing. I was imagining I was on stage with Kiss. I was in Kiss. I was in Cheap Trick. I was on stage with Aerosmith, mm-hmm. and I would be playing and imagine Joe Perry's over there, and he looks at me, and I'm like, hey. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just a kid. So the way kids yeah. would pretend that they're G.I. Joe or Superman, I was pretending that I was on stage with these rock stars, you know? So when, like, when did you get that, like, the proverbial sort of break? When did you get that where you were like, okay, I might have a shot here. Like, this is, this is really happening. When was that? Well, I think just, you know, around 14, just playing out and actually doing it. So we would go to the Hartford Civic Center and we'd see Iron Maiden, Twisted Sister, Dokken, Rat, Kiss, uh, Queensryche, all these hard rock bands. And, and we were there as fans, but we were also, our band was watching these guys. How did they pace the set? Oh, they did two songs before the singer said hi. They didn't do one and stop. They kept the momentum. So we were watching it from a like, So you were like a student. You were like a student of it, really. Just totally. like tracking it, like watching it. Yeah, again, not aware of what we were doing, right. but that's what we were doing. And so we did that and then we'd go play and we'd pace our set accordingly. And so I just realized, like, well, this makes sense. I, I can do this. I can, and not in a cocky way, you know, and it was just like, I, I can do this. I know. So I think that knowing was like the first real step. As far as an actual break, that came, you know, if I'm, if I'm say I'm 16, that came like over 20 years later to where I had actually played with somebody, Jeez. even met somebody that I had listened to growing up. And what was that like? So like the first time where you playing with somebody that, that you used to listen to, that must be pretty, a pretty awesome feeling. Yeah. It's, 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 it feels, it feels, you know, it, it going to it on your way to the gig or the thing, it feels like, Oh my God, wow, that's amazing. But then when you get there, it's about the actual human being you're dealing with. And so all that stuff falls away. I think if you can't let it fall away, you'll never be able to work with right. people that are famous because you'll be tripping out that they're right. famous. You can't be like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that, that now you're dealing, it, so it's not, you know, Ace Fraley, but when you meet him, it's like, hi, Ace. So it's me and this guy, Ace, and we're talking about whatever. So um, it, was, it was a band called Bang Tango, which was an 80s, late 80s band. And uh, yeah, used to see them play was a fan and then you know early 2000s whatever i uh, got an opportunity to to play with them to play with joe and joe was the only remaining guy the singer and uh and we did some touring and made a record and it it was like wow this is really amazing and then also well yeah of course again not in an arrogant right. way but just like right. yeah because right because you know to what? you because to you it's 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 what you do it was an inevitability almost right like that's the way your mindset was absolutely yeah and it was and it was also like the reverse of that which is i'm the perfect guy for this situation because the guitar player and bass player they weren't fans of the of bang tango growing up so they were trying to learn the songs and they're not technically complicated but they just had some quirky things and they were like this music is so weird and i'm like makes perfect sense to me and i'm like oh you know what this is my dream but i'm also perfect for this guy because i know this singer, right and i know what he's going to do and i know how he sings and i know how his drummer used to play and i'm i'm going to be a great you know contributor to this situation right you know it's so interesting matt because like the arrogance gets sometimes really really caught up in a certain sort of feeling of security and what you know you're good at right like it's it's one thing to be arrogant and being just just an just an asshole just be completely like you know whatever there's another thing to just know 
that this is what you you're this is for you and you know you could question wow and be starstruck and ask you why did i end up here i can't believe but on the other side like you said it's i know why i'm here i'm here because every single day when i was done with school i came up and i the, this was always my thing so why not end up here and i think it's okay to feel like that right i don't think it's a, a wrong approach to how you feel about a passion that is a real passion. Uh, yeah, I think it's essential. And there's a big difference between watching somebody play and go, oh man, why is he up there? I could do that. And going, I could do that. Right. I could do that. Right. You know, that could yep. be me. And using right? that to fuel it. Like I can do that. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple more things about this, uh, about the, 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 this, and then I want to get into the coaching is, um, so tell me first, I need to understand uh, two things. One is I want to know how, how the, how you met ACE and how that whole thing came out. I mean, because mm -hmm. did, like, you know, like you said, putting it in the context of kiss for you when you were young, was that just, did it just happen? Did you seek that out? Like, well, how did that sort of relationship, where'd that come from? So th this is, this is where, this is how I met ACE, but this is also where the coaching thing was born. So I'm coming up 38, like coming up on 40, looking back on my life, always told myself, oh, I'm going to make it, you know, I'm going to be a success and realizing that it, it didn't happen. And I was probably, you know, hopefully I'll live to be a hundred, but you know, you're coming to like the half point of your life. And I, all the stuff I promised myself I was going to do, or I said what happened next week, next month, next year. It's like, well, when, when it hasn't happened. And I realized in that moment I had, although I had the passion and I had the talent, I had no fucking clue how to do it. I had no clue how to make it happen. And I saw guys who I knew I could tell were less talented than I was, but they were living my dream. Right. right. And I, and I didn't resent them for them. I thought, what do they have or know? Right. Or what are they doing that I'm not doing? Right. Right. You were over um, it, man. This is your over yeah, it moment. You were it, over that's it. it. So I said, for, I literally, for the first time in my life said, I don't know. I don't know the answer. And I, I don't think prior to that, I had ever really admitted that or even thought that, you know? So that was the moment. And I, I made a list of everyone whose career I had admired. I was in LA. So thankfully some of those guys lived out there. I sought them out like a stalker. I Googled, I figured out where they were, where they hung out there, and I would find them and I connect with them and I'd hum, you know, uh, persistently but just very respectfully introduce myself and can I get some of your time I'd love to talk about your career because and and they were generous with their time and I realized that the whole problem was my thinking so then I started going out to uh, clubs and uh, had a friend tell me just get out there and play that's all people see you play you'll get work and I thought well what does that mean I mean how do I I got to get work before I can right play. right you know, it's like, it's like when they, when a record label says we don't accept unsolicited material, then you look for an attorney to, to represent you and they go, we don't represent fans that don't have deals. You go, okay, did you guys get together on this? Wait, which one comes first? <laughs> right. So, uh, so I said, where can I do that? And I, and I realized that in every answer, if you genuinely ask the question, you're going to genuinely get the answer. And the answer was, you know, go out and let people see you play. Okay. Where can I do that? I go, well, open jams. I go to open mics. And I went to this open mic, wasn't much happening at all, but there were a few guys that I met. This was in LA? Was, this was in LA, but it was about yeah. north north of LA by 45 minutes. So it was okay. a long drive. I was getting okay. late at night. Uh, it was so dead there, they let me sing, which I also <laughs> sing. So then I hear like nine months into this process, hey, uh, Ace Frehley's drummer just quit. 
And I'm like, okay. So I called every single one of those guys that I had met. And, and I said, do you know, a, do you know, Ace? Do you know anyone in his band? And there was a guy, uh, Brent Woods, who plays guitar with Sebastian Bach now. Okay. And uh, he, he goes, yeah, I know Anthony, the bass player. We're good buddies. And I go, well, would you call him? Cause you know, I, I want to, I want to audition. And he goes, you'd be great. And I go, and I looked online and their drummer sings all the Paul Stanley songs. He goes, Oh, I heard you sing. You're great. So because that club was so dead because they just said, <laughs> Oh, are there any singers here? And I go, well, I sing. And they let me get up and sing. Brent saw me do, you know, so all these things came so together. So it started to connect together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, then he called Anthony, Anthony called me. We talked two two weeks later, I flew to New York. I auditioned a couple weeks later. I got the call. I got the gig, a lot of little details in between, but that's basically the gist. And, um, and that was, that was the start, you know, that was like, okay, I used to, I, I could probably sign this guy's name better than he can. I used to trace his signature, I used to draw his face. And now does he be, know that now? I mean, does he know your, like what your got, what that band, what he, what they meant to you? Does he know that now? Like once you've had, a, uh, once I, it wasn't as creepy and you weren't like, now you kind of know him. Did you ever tell him the extent of that at all or no? No, not to him, to Paul Stanley, I've shared more of that with, but I think the fact that Ace could kind of could play like two notes of any Kiss song and I'm like right on top of it. Like if we're at rehearsal and he's just (laughs) goofing around, I'm like right there. So he's, you know, he's got to realize that, okay, this, this guy knows my stuff, you know? Um, that's, that's an awesome story. Um, um, I'm just trying to think where I want to go. I, like I have so many questions. All right, let's let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about the 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 coaching because here now that seems like a pretty sweet gig, right? Like you you finally got you doing what you do. You knew you'd get somewhere there. The pieces came together for you. Um and so you then what? You think I want to try to help other people get to the same place? Is that the transition? What what brings the coaching into your mind? It was two things. So so one, I just I appeared on the scene out of nowhere and was like, hi, I'm Matt Starr, the drummer. Now, prior to this, I was singing and that's another piece of it, but I had been singing for years. So anyone who knew me knew me as a singer. So I had to really go out and reintroduce myself. So I connected with all these drummers. And then after that, I got the ACE gig and then I started playing with, uh, you know, they started getting gigs with different guys like, you know, Doug Aldridge, who was with Whitesnake at the yeah. time and played with Phil X who plays with Bon Jovi. So I started getting like, you know, quote unquote, all the gigs in town. And so then all these guys that I had reached out to originally, I was getting more work than them. So they started coming to me and going, I had never heard of you nine months ago. And <laughs> what now, are you like, doing, man? <laughs> like you're taking all these fucking gigs. What's going on? And what are you doing? And I, and I had, and rather than kind of just go, well, you know, I'm just lucky. I just, I stopped and thought like, what am I doing? Because for 38 years, I had all the passion, all the talent, but it wasn't working. What, what did change? And I was able to articulate that. And then as a drummer, we end up usually doing drum clinics where you'll be on tour and you'll at a local music store, you'll do uh, like an hour and a half, you know, you'll play and then drummers will ask questions. And they were mostly, and the ones that I were most, was mostly interested in were the business questions. How did you get the gig? And, but they, you know, they weren't asking for a rock and roll story. They were actually asking me, how can I get a gig like that? Right. So I guess, and so that's, so that, oh, that, that's what I want to ask you. So like when you're coaching, is it, is it specifically geared to the industry or, and, or is it more just a, a, a coaching in, 
getting yourself to follow what that passion is and getting to the next level? Is, is it a combination or is it only within the industry? No, I, I, I realized, you know, it's kind of like a one, two, three, like, okay, this isn't just for drummers. Right. This isn't just for musicians. This is just for anyone who is here. You know, they're in point A, they want to get to point B. The next level is usually like a phrase that gets used a lot. So whether that's in a personal part of their lives or their career, it's the reason that they can't get to that next level, there's a block, right? So I say, you know, you feel like you're coming up against a glass wall, right? And all all the stuff you want is on the other side of that wall and all the people that have achieved it are on the other side of the wall and you just can't get through the wall. Well, if something's actually in front of you, you can see it. But if it's inside you, you can't see it. And that's, that's what the block is. So then, you know, we have situations where, you know, people feel like they're procrastinators or they're bad with time or they're disorganized or they're not motivated and they get on themselves for all those things. But those are just symptoms of the block. So focusing on any of that, that's not the truth about people. It's that they've got a block and the, the symptoms come up and they start focusing on the symptoms, but that's, that's like, Oh, there's a burning piece of wood in my right. front yard. I got to put the wood out. Okay. You're actually, your whole house is on fire. <laughs> that's really the problem. Or you're going to focus on all these little tiny right. pieces of wood in your yard. Right. Your, so once I, I just kept stepping back, 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 like, what's the bigger picture? What's the big, that is the, the crux of what I came down to. So, you know, part of my job is, is holding people accountable. Part of it is walking through a process with them that I've been through a ton of times myself and done with other people. And then the other part is just being a witness, you know, like to just acknowledge, yeah, you're going through this and you're frustrated. You should be frustrated. You have a dream and you're not able to live it. That's frustrating. You're normal. Right. If you're not frustrated, you don't want it that much clearly. Right. Right. Because it wouldn't bother you. Yeah. What, what is the, what is the format that you, that, cause you know, I know a lot of coaching and, and these things are different. Do you have, is it like one-on-ones? Do you do group settings? Like how, do, how does it look? Is it, it both? Yeah, it is both. Um, you know, so when I'm traveling, I'm doing workshops and that's like either at a, at a school uh, or a business will hire me to come in and do it with their employees. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the formats. Um, and also, and especially lately in the last year, yeah, uh, it's been one on one, you know. So I have I have either like straight up coaching packages, or I also have uh, an diff- a couple different eight week programs, and then there's coaching that goes with that. And I find that that's the most the most uh, greatest amount of progress where someone's self motivated to do the work, but then we have those weekly sessions to keep keep things moving forward. Uh, we're talking with Matt Starr, two R's, mattstarrcoaching.com, uh, musician, coach, uh, motivational speaker. Um, so Matt, you still, I mean, I, I mean, maybe it's different in this time, but you found this and you enjoy it and you do it. You still play. I mean, right. You're still, uh, you're still a musician. How do you balance this? And do you find that that becomes another, a new challenge for you? Uh, for the most part, no, unless I'm in Europe or overseas and I'm trying to coordinate coaching sessions. So, right. no, I, I found that it's been like great Just like logistical things, really, is what logistics. you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, logistics. But, um, no, I think, you know, me being uh, a musician and being out there is, is a, I'm just a walking advertisement for this is what I do. And, right. and you know, this here's the results of what I'm, what I'm willing to share with you. Um, so that hasn't been an issue. And, um, no. And then also to be able to go and speak to people in person. So I'll, once I get a, a tour, 
I'll go, okay, I'm going to be in Oklahoma on the 15th. We got the 14th off. Let's book an event. Right. Like that's, that's what, that's cool. Like you're inherently on the road. So you, you can expand your business to where you're going. Right. It's not right. So like, like that, that's, that's a cool, that's an interesting uh, concept. I didn't even think about that. Right. Cause like you can just look at your, your, your schedule and predetermined and know, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. Let's run that from a marketing perspective. You know, like I can run ads in those places and, you know, like you can do a, a really cool segmented um, situation there. Um, the um, touring, like this is something that I think a lot of people who, um, you know, they're not musicians. Maybe they want, they, they had this fantasy about being a rock star, a, you know, rock star or musician is the touring, getting to go out, see the world, playing with, you know, on stage with people tell me a little bit about that life. I'm curious, man. Like the per- when you're on a tour, you're going around, you know, I'm sure you've gone some that are small and you said you've been to Europe, you go on some bigger things. Like, does it get annoying? Like, do you, do you love it all of the time? Like, is it like, it's tiring, right? I mean, tell me a little about the, about the, the grind of the to- of a tour. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we play for free. It looks all fun if you're not in it. Right. And you're like, I want to be on tour, but I imagine yeah. it's fun, but there's, it's a lot of work. It's a grind. Yeah, I mean, you see the, the, you know, 90 to 120 minutes of rock and roll, but you don't see the other right. know, 22 hours of the day. So right. uh, I, I would never complain about this, right? Because it's, I, have, I have a really nice life and it's great. Uh, but yeah, it's a grind, man. And I'm, I turned 50 in uh, October. So uh, yeah, it's like traveling is challenging. And the better the gig, you know, then the easier it gets. Right. So, you know, everybody usually starts out in a van. You're driving around in a van. Right. You know, right. There's always a van. There's a van or a garage involved at the yeah, beginning. Of exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you're taking turns driving and not getting enough sleep and the routing makes no sense. So there's not enough time to get from, you know, point. Right. Point they got you in one place and it's somewhere completely random. Yeah. You know, yeah. so then, but then it progresses and then you're on planes or on a bus you know, and then, you know, you're flying first class or the band has their own, you know, has rented it or has their own plane. So it gets better, but it's still, it's still a challenge. Yeah, for sure. And, and do I love it? I, yeah, I absolutely love it. Do I love being away from my family? No, I have no, a five right. and a seven year old, uh, right. five year old daughter, seven year old son. I got a wife who I love very much. So that's not great. You know, um, thank God for technology. Right. Right. You could be more, um, you could be more connected. Yep. But like, tell me like the day of, so you, let's say you got a big show. Um, you're on a tour, you got a big show. And, um, what's that day? Like, do you have a, like, cause you know, like you ball players, sports, uh, athletes, they're very ritualized, right? They have like rituals right. before they go out They do the same thing. They wear the same clothes. Are musicians like that? Do you have these rituals that you do that you have before you go on? Or is it just sort of whatever you take that day, whatever yeah, it is not- that day? Yeah, I do. And I see the guys, you know, around me doing similar things, you know, but for me, um, I've learned to just do what I do. So like, you know, some guys will go out, drink all night and sleep till noon. I don't do that when I'm home. So I don't do that when I'm on the road. Right. If I do that, I get, gets, gets sloppy and gets right. So, you know, get up, whatever reasonable hour, nine o'clock, whatever. Um, you know, do my morning routine, which is my meditation and my prayer and all my stuff that gets my brain focused and settled in, check in with the family. Um, and then, you know, usually have a sound check around two. So, you know, 
go get, hopefully there's a good coffee place around. I can get a nice, get a nice espresso and then uh, do sound check, you know, and after sound check, you have lunch and maybe you go back to the venue. I might have a coaching session in between sound check and the gig or a couple, right? Yeah. Something like in town. Um, but the main thing is, you know, like doing my warm up and then, you know, getting to the gig about usually an hour and a half ahead of time, start warming up my hands. Um, about a half hour before I get changed. Yeah. So I don't want to be in my stage clothes for too long, but I don't want to be changing right before we go on. <laughs> and then like with Ace, it's interesting because, you know, it's never more than by 15 minutes one way or the other, but it's okay. We're playing at nine. Okay. That's in air quotes. And so it's not going to be before nine, but it might be nine, but it might be nine fifteen. Yeah. But what's that day, about, man? Well, I always wondered that with musicians. What's that? What's going on there? Is that like on purpose? Is it just like you got your own shit to do? Like what's going on there? Make them yeah, wait. I, I mean, some, some musicians are more punctual than others, but I think just being on their own, own schedule and that's how they do their thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Some people, the, the, for some people structure works and for some people, the structure is feels confining, you know? So, that's kind of the deal for me structure works even though in, in i would yeah, think that i yeah, would not like the structure me too but, so anyway but you know i got my thing because i, I have my swedish snooze that i you know i pop under my my lip here and but it's like if it's like 15 minutes before that 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 little buzz will happen too soon so it's like five minutes before so i just gotta time it because he, the way it goes is we're in the dressing room ace doesn't show up and then he has an intro piece of music that starts with a church bell so we're talking 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 i was like like, you're like let's go that means he pulled up and they go okay he's here so the intro intro starts before he's like walked into the building but but does the sound check with him or is it just with the staff in other words like just with the band and it's just just with the band band. so like okay so like you're got you're coming together at the time of the show really yeah, right. so we, yeah. we, you know, occasionally he'll come to sound check and we're doing some new songs or something, but usually right. no. Uh, so then he walks in, it's like, hey, what's up? Hey, Hogs, hey, how are you doing? Good. And then, you know, he's he's funny because he obviously has been doing this for about as long as I've been alive. Right. But he'll just talk and you think he's, that, the intro's going to run out. Like, it's not, and then it's like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we please welcome from the Bronx, New York. It's Ace Free. And just, it's just, like, just like the... <laughs> the last second he's like boom he's got his guitar in and hey he's out there and everything's great so yeah that's great it's like ingrained in him um a, a couple more things quick um as a drummer like the and I, I was actually I, i've never actually even asked dan about this but like have you calculated or monitored how many calories you burn in like a show i got to imagine man it's a lot uh, I, I never, I've never done that. And I've, some guys have done the steps thing. So they'll, they'll put the, the thing on their ankle or the watch thing. Uh, but what I do know is when I go on tour and I don't drink, so that certainly helps. But when I go on tour, I lose weight. I think I'm one of the only people who, when they go on the road, <laughs> they lose <laughs> weight. So usually, yeah. Usually people eat like, you know, the food gets, you know, they eat like fried food and all this stuff. And then they're drinking beer every night on the bus. So I'm not doing those two things. But so I know from, you know, moving my arms and I'm not that physical of a guy. I'm not a athletic dude. So, um, 
I'm definitely burning some calories. Yeah, and I mean, people, I mean, I'm, I think a lot of people know this, but when you see a drummer and you see them and you're looking at their, you know, their arms, there's a whole bunch of footwork and foot strength going on there that not a lot of sure. people are seeing. You know, that that drum on the bottom end, that's banging out and that's a lot of, a lot of movement constant. So I got to imagine it puts a, a toll. Uh, I mean, are you sore the next day? Like, do you feel it in your arms? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I have warm-ups that I do before and then also warm down. So after the okay. gig, I warm down. Just like a workout. Uh, it's just like a like a workout. You'd have a cool down or like a warm-up too, like before. Yeah, and, and Advil helps, a lot of water, Yep. you know. And um, I don't know if cigars help or not, but I try to have one after a show <laughs> sure. each night. You know, that's not medically it's, proven. It's ritual, but... ritualistic maybe and it's yes. calming, right? That's what it is. Um, yeah. Last thing I want to ask you is um, Dan Dinsmore is the founder of Over It. Um, where did you guys cross paths? Just more of my own personal question. Like, did you, did you just know him because he's another drummer? Like, where did you guys cross? Yeah, so we met through a uh, bass player named Chris Wise. Okay. And Chris uh, played with the Colt for many years, and then he played with Ace Fraley, and now he plays uh, in the Hollywood Vampires with Johnny Depp and, and Alice Cooper. So uh, Chris and I had met in L.A., and then I had actually brought Chris in on the Ace record, and then Chris has this band called Owl, and he was yeah, playing, okay. and I went to see, and, and the band was great, and, uh, and the drummer, I didn't know at the time, Dan, was great, and I, so we just started talking, and he's, a, he's an East Coast New York guy, and... So we just hit it off and then okay. we just, have, you know, kept in touch. Cool. Yeah. Dan's a great dude. Um, and pretty badass drummer too. I might say when I, uh, great you know, yeah. Um, so, um, Matt, people are going to listen to this. I do this with most people when I interview and they're going to listen to an interview. You know, this, they're going to take away a couple things, right? One or two things. So like, if you have, if there's somebody listening, a bunch of people and they're feeling like, like, like you were saying, you know, like they're looking back, they're at that point in their life, they were there, their get over it moment. And they're looking for something to just get them to that next place. What are you telling them? What's, what, what should they do right after they hear this? What's the first thing that's got to happen? I think you need to take yourself seriously and take your dreams seriously. Take your dreams seriously. That, that's, that's cool. I love that. Take your dreams seriously. Yeah, because they're they're unique to you, and they're never ever gonna go away. And and you don't want it to go from a dream to being a haunting experience. But if you right. don't listen and don't and don't truly honor that thing that was planted inside of you, that's unique to you, that it's you're gonna be haunted by it eventually. So you don't want to get there. All right, he is Matt Starr. I am Chris Fasano. This is the Get Over Podcast, where people from all walks of life come together to discuss the various ways we stop just getting through it and start getting over it. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Appreciate it.